Hey, don't raise your hand. So I'm going to preface this by saying, don't get mad at me if you're an essential old person. Okay, with my next little story. Okay, just don't don't get upset. Um, you can smell like you want to at home. Just don't get upset. Okay. So, yeah. well, you do smell, right? <laughs> right? You, you have this stuff that clears your sinus passages, and okay. Anyway, I don't understand it all. I do know that lavender works on burns. I do know that. Um, so that's good to have around the house. But nonetheless. Um, <laughs> I get this phone call from this guy um, recently, and I'm on the phone with him, and he says, um, Philip, my wife is doing all these essential roles. I said, yeah, I know. I know. How's that going? Well, I have the flu, and she won't let me go to the doctor. <laughs> she has rubbed my chest with what I think is uricide or uracil or uracil-something. Anyway, she rubs it, and she rubs it about in the morning, and she rubs it in the afternoon, because that's supposed to cure the fluids. Well, okay. It's, I don't know what to do at this point. I don't even know what to call it, right? So, so I'm still on the phone. Okay, she's rubbing her chest. She's, she's caring for you. She cares that you have the flu. I get it. He goes, um, Pastor, could you please go to the pharmacy and get me some medical? <laughs> show up at your house and it, no, listen, I, I got a plan. There's a bush in front of my house. <laughs> just put it behind that bush and uh, just call me real quick. Don't text me because she checks my text. And um, just tell me it's there and I'll, and I'll, I'll so. Isn't that great? That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Uh, as you would know. So, this is what's happening in the room right now. Everybody's thinking, okay, who is the essential old person at Farmington Baptist Church? Good luck with that. You'll never forget so. Which makes it a challenge, right, Tommy? Yes. Which makes it a challenge. Because people start texting me this week, is it Bob? Sorry? Is it, you know, no, sorry. So, anyway, it's not Bob. I still <laughs> When you are in trouble, who do you go to? Who do you go to? Who's your first call? What's the first thing that you do? When you're in trouble and you're in a situation where you really need relief for something, who is the first person that you think of to contact? Is it, is it your mom, your spouse, whether it's husband or wife? Is it, is it your um, friend? Is it who is it? And maybe it depends on what the situation is. Maybe if you're sick, you contact this person. If it's car trouble, you contact this person. If your house is burning down, it's 911. It's that sort of deal that happens, right? But who is the first person that you contact? It should be God. Now, you can actually pray to God. Oh my, I don't know what to do, Lord, but please help me with this. I'm going to contact such and such. Get on the phone with him and then continue your prayers with him to help you with that process. But it really should be God. That should be the, the call on the phone. God um, is, is an amazing, amazing person because anything you tell him, he doesn't tell someone else. So you, you, can, you can tell him anything and, and complain in any way and he will not spread it around, so to speak. 
He will give you guidance. He will give you direction. He'll give you power. He'll give you strength because he loves you. But he's not going to spread it around. That person that you called on the phone, it's either a 95-5 or a 50-50 or a 30-70 that they're going to spread it around. Right? Let's be honest. Because even, even best friends that share intimately, this person that was shared with goes to their best friend Cheers. Intimately. Don't look at me like that's never happened to you in your entire life. You know that's what happens. And then the story goes on and goes on like that, right? God doesn't do that. He just doesn't do that. So the, the disciples are in a situation in our text today in Matthew chapter 6. And they are wondering what they are going to say to God at a given moment. They're wondering how to pray, how to word that prayer, how to actually talk to God about what they're going through in their life. So in Matthew chapter 6, he gives them a prayer um, that they can pray. So Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to give you a couple of historical reasons why this was something that was on their mind. Okay? First of all, the Pharisees and Sadducees had a ton of prayers that you had to pray every day. There, there were just tons of prayers that you could do. They, they, were, they were written out. You had to memorize them if you, if you couldn't read. And, and there are certain things that you had to say at certain times and certain things. They just had all kinds of rules about prayer. And so here are these disciples and they see Jesus going off alone and he's praying all night long and they're wondering, what is he saying to God? Or they see him praying at different times during their ministry, and he's, they're wondering, how in the world is he communing? There is something different with the way that Jesus is praying than the way that I pray. And these um, learned uh, prayers that I've learned, they don't seem to be cutting the mustard. There's something, there's something odd. So, so we are wondering how to pray because there's stuff going on in our lives that we need help with and we want to pray. So that's, that's what's going through. That's what we're just going through their minds. So in verse 9, it says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that is a very simple prayer with profound meaning. We are not going to make it through the whole thing today, okay? But we are going to make it through part of it. So I want to start with the first phrase, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The first word there is our. If you're here today and you've asked forgiveness for your sins and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you believe. That he took the punishment for your sins on the cross of Calvary and he shed his blood and rose the third day. You believe that and you have accepted that into your heart. You believed it and you really believe it. That hour pertains to you. It is our Father. I, as a pastor, do not have any, any uh, better standing with our Father than you do. He looks at you as a child of God. He looks at me as his child. It is our, collectively, our Father. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> he is a good Father. 
This means that at any moment, at any time, he's ready to listen to you. Whether you ask him forgiveness for your sins or whether you are asking him to help you with something or whether you're just praising his name and you're just glad that something happened, our Father is ready to listen to you at any given moment. And so when we pray, we say, our Father, possessive. Do you realize that you being a child of God means that you possessively have God? He is your Father. He, he's, he's not just Bob's father, Ellen's father, Richard's father, the, the pastor's father. He's not just He is ours. He is my father. He's your father. You can go to him at any time. Any time. The second word there, and we kind of covered a little bit, is father. Father's an interesting word. Um, father has a sense of authority to it. It has a sense of power to it. It has a sense of protection to it. Father does. He is our Father. In the Old Testament, I don't know if you know this or not, but when they prayed, and even in the prayers that they were praying as Jews, they would always start that prayer this way. The Father who is the Father. No, the Father who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their prayers would do that. Their prayers did not have our in it at all. In fact, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a prayer in the Old Testament that directly called God Father in that particular way as ownership. It was always the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, the father of Israel. It was collectively a people's God, just a people group, a nationality's God. That's how it's presented in the Old Testament. In fact, um, the Hebrew word Abba is the word for father in Hebrew, obviously, because I just said that. It was kind of circular, but I kind of repeated myself. But that's okay, right? So Abba, who is father, means that was never really used of it being possessively our father. It never was. It was always used as an illustration of what God was. You never got to really say that God was your father. You just talked about it. He's the father of mankind. He's the father of this. It was an illustration of God's interaction and working. So when Jesus Christ said to his disciples, you will pray this way, our father, that was brand new. That was a concept that they had never thought about. That was something brand new that he was bringing on the teaching stage to say, look, because of me, you can call God your father. You no longer have to refer to him as some, some person out here that isn't connected to you as a family member. He is your father. He's your father. He's your Abba. By the way, I want to just kind of say this. If I was somewhere else, I don't know if I'd say it or not. Little God, really, honestly. Abba does not mean daddy. Oh my goodness. No. No, 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 no doesn't mean daddy. God is not your daddy. He's your father. He's not your daddy that you curl up in his arms and you cry. And you, he's not that person. In fact, that particular form of God is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Moses, when he went to the mountain, didn't crawl up in God's hands as he gave him the Ten Commandments. 
It was a holy moment. Are you tracking with me? When he met God, the Father, at the burning bush, he didn't go up and embrace the flames and call him dad. He was the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abba does not mean daddy. It means father. And that means something. It means authority. It means power. It means somebody you can go to for, for wisdom. It means somebody that you can count on. It means somebody that will protect you when things go wrong. It is so different than daddy. We say our father who is in heaven because he is our father and he's a good father. And he's an awesome father. And we address him in that relational type of way. The problem that we have sometimes with fathers is there's people, there's people even in this room that didn't have good dads, didn't have good fathers. They just didn't. Some, some people had, had a father that all he did was give them life and that's it. He had no, no more to do with them after that. Some people had fathers that were angry in their home and never invested in their life. Some people had great fathers that invested, that led, that, that did what they were supposed to. Some people had fathers that were lazy. And so when we call God our father, we need to understand that it is not the fathers that you may have had that have failed you. It is a father as he should be. A father is a leader of a household. A father is a person with wisdom that gives guidance to his children and his wife. A father is a man that follows the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, all his soul, and all his mind. And acts that way in his home, at his job, when he's driving, and everywhere that he's at. That is a father. It is a father that lives in such a way that it doesn't demand respect. Doesn't demand respect. You have respect because you're living as the man God called you to be. If you're wondering what your call is today as a man in the if you have children, your number one calling is to be the best father that you can possibly be and lead them toward Christ. That is your calling. That is what you are supposed to be about. And anything in your life that doesn't do that needs to go out the door. <clears throat> And if you're not investing in your children, you need to invest in your children. I look around this room and there's some great fathers in here. I'm not going to call them my name. There's some great fathers in here. We have a very unique situation here that there's a lot of guys in here that really take seriously being a father and investing in their children. And I think that's absolutely incredible. We need to continue to do that because, guys, your child's concept of God being our father lands in your lap. When they hear a message like this and they're trying to take an analogy and connect it with God, they think of you. And if you're not living the way you're supposed to live, that diminishes God's name in their eyes. That diminishes the importance and the power of him being a father in their eyes. And we need to be the men of God that we should be so that when they hear a text like this, our Father who is in heaven, they think of you and they immediately think, well, my father follows the heavenly father, and he's a lot better than my, head, than my earthly father. But man, if I can just be like my earthly father, I can be something. Amen? Mm -hmm. Our father. Our father 
who is in heaven, her father who is in heaven. Some people have lost what it means to be a father. Some people, in, in the sense of what it means to be, as in, as in what a father actually is. Um, I believe that in our culture, there's been a war on men for a very long period of time. There's been a war on men. So our concept of what a father is, is, is just skewed. It's just very skewed. Very seldom do you see on TV where there's actually a good father leading his family. I'll tell you this, ladies. Seldom do you see on TV where there's a good mother leading her family. It seems to always be the kids, thank you, Disney. It seems to be the right ones, the ones that are leading in the home and doing that. I'm here to tell you today, God placed you as the mother in the home to be a leader, and he placed the dad in the home to be the leader. Kids make way too many decisions today. Way too many decisions. There needs to be wisdom from mature people guiding them along their way. Now, this isn't going to turn into a parenting thing, but I'm just letting you know there needs to be some leadership. And when we call God our Father, what we are saying in that prayer is, Lord, lead me in the way that I need to go. You are my Father. I need to know where to go. I need wisdom for you, from you. I need your authority. Our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Has anybody ever wondered what hallowed means? Anybody? Have you? Yeah, thank you, thank you. I have two. First thing I, I think of when I, when I hear Halloween is like Halloween. Anybody ever done that? Come on, you can be honest, it's church. Right? Halloween. Like, and, and what is Halloween exactly? Well, in the English dictionary, it's, a, it's an adverb that describes something. So it's, it's an adverb. However, I, I submit to you this morning that this word right here is the Greek word for what we translate Halloween. It might be shocking to you to know that this is a verb and not an adverb. It's not even an adjective. It's not a word that describes God or describes God's name necessarily. It is a verb. It's a verb. In fact, if you want to get really technical, it's a third person singular. In other words, God moved to make yourself holy. I don't even know how you would do verb holy as, as a verb. You holy Would it be holy Right? You just throw? That's how you make verbs, right? Have you ever done mad libs? Ever done mad libs before? Like, and you can't think of a verb, so you say chairing, right? Because you couldn't think of something, or dooring, or whatever, right? All right, are you carrying, or whatever? Nobody's ever done that? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. It seems like the people that got baptized, the family today, are the most honest people in the room. <laughs> That's incredible. It's amazing. So, I am in other words, what does it mean? You are praying that God would take action and make his name holy. It's a verb, that he would move to do that. So as soon as you start going down that road, the reason that people go back to the adverb is because that makes you feel very uncomfortable. 
Because theologically, when you say the word Jesus, Jehovah, right? Those are holy names. God is already holy. Why would you have to make his name holy? I might put it to you this way. Maybe this, maybe this will get you to where I'm, I'm at right now. It is like saying the wood is solid. Okay? It, it's wood. The ice is cold. Oh, wait a minute. The, the ice is what? The ice is cold? Thank you for that bit of, bit of information. Right? The shirt that is colored yellow is yellow. Yes, I have a southern draw with yellow. Do not say that word correctly. But I like the way I say it. Yeah. Right? The red crayon is red. Why in the world would you have to tell God to make his name holy when it's already holy? What in the world is that about? And if you're going to pray that, what are you praying exactly? It's not a worship word. It's not you worshiping God as holy. We need to make that clear because we often take this word to say we worship God as holy. This isn't a worship phrase. We're saying our God who is in heaven, we're connected as a family. And then we go right into, I want you to make your name holy. How can God's name become defiled? So to answer that question, I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. <clears throat> we begin reading with verse 16. This is what it says. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood they had shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. Did you get that? They profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Ladies and gentlemen, God is always holy, but you and I can make his name unholy. It is our testimony that represents Jesus. It is our testimony that represents God. It is our testimony that represents him. And when we sin and when we err and when we do something wrong, it defames the name of God. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe when you do that particular thing that those people know that you are doing and you're not really supposed to be doing but they know it. 
and they know that you're a Christian, and they know that you say that you love Jesus, that somehow or another, God, who is up here, is now down here. He's no different than anything else. He's no different than any other religion. He's no different than any other God. He's no different than anybody else because God's name is not as holy and not as powerful and doesn't change people the way that you say that it changes people. Are you checking with me? See, the children of Israel, they had defamed not only their land, not only did they have to be dispersed, but they defamed, they defamed. Am I saying that right? Defamed? Defamed? How do you say that? Defamed. I hate it when you're so excited and you say one that defamed. They made God's name unholy. See, you can't even do that either. You have to have that rhythm, right? They made his name to where it wasn't pure. And they had sinned so much that the nations were saying, your God is no better than my God. Your God isn't holy. And so he dispersed the people. And here in verse 21 it says, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus say the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. When you say, our Father who is in heaven, and you have respect for his position and his authority, and then you say, Lord, come into this existence and make your name holy, you are telling him to move and make sure that his name is holy. Don't do it for us. Take what we have done and move us into a position where you are still honored and glorified and people respect you anyway. I want you to move to make your name holy so that everybody around us, everybody in America, everybody around me, everybody that I see knows that you are a holy God and you are a God of justice. And that brings fear and trembling into their lives, but it also brings hope. Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy. You need to move. You need to move. I desire that everybody that isn't a Christian will at least know the Christians are serving a holy God. That there is something about their life that is totally different, that isn't in the sin of the world, but is different. It, it's not something that, that is self-righteous living. But it's just something about their demeanor. It's something different about the way that they handle themselves. Because they realize that they serve a holy God and they represent Him with everything that they do. Everything that they do. Everything. The question is, are there things that you are doing that doesn't represent God well? Are there things that you are doing that people see that doesn't represent Jesus well? Or the things that you are doing that doesn't represent the Holy Spirit well. And when people hear of that testimony, 
They no longer think in reverence of your God because he hasn't had the power to change you. That's, that's tough, isn't it? Right? I mean, I prefer the version of the prayer where you say at, at, at a wedding or a funeral from like your grandmother's church, you know, where everybody's just saying it together, you know, our Father, who art in heaven, hallelujah, and you have that beautiful feeling because everybody, I prefer that version. I prefer ignorance. What the word. <laughs> right? Come on, really? Don't you prefer the ignorance? Like, if we were just ignorant of this, it would be a lot better. But no, if you are going to pray the Lord's Prayer and pray correctly, you are going to pray for God to move in the world and make it holy. There is a, um, a story of a prophet in the Bible called Hosea. And Hosea was told by God to marry a woman that was a prostitute. And he married her. They had three children. If you know this or not, they had three children. The first one was Hosea's child, and the next two were not his children, they were someone else's. When she had the third child, she left Hosea, and she went back to the temple of Baal, and she served them. So she went back to being a prostitute. That's what she did. In that story, it is Hosea that one day, many years later, after she was used to the place where she could be used no more by the temple of Baal. Is everybody with me? They put her back out to be sold. There she was. And the text seems to say that Hosea was just passing by at that moment. And there she was, he said. And he stopped in his tracks and he looked at her. And he bought her back. He bought her back. Why in the world would you buy her back? There's no telling how many women she's been with. There's no telling how much she has partaken of drugs. I mean, it's no telling what has gone into her body. But here she is, used and abused. She cannot do that. She can't do it. She is useless to anybody. But Hosea buys her back. Hosea buys her back. The man who had only slept with her bought her back. The man who had been dedicated to her bought her back. The man that dealt with the hurt of her leaving and going to that lifestyle for a while bought her back. Bought her back. And the text says that Hosea wanted to redeem her and place her back into the position that she was when they were originally married. And he wanted to offer her a better life than where she had gotten to. So he bought her back. It is at that point that Hosea, in buying her back and making her his wife again, that his holiness transferred to her. His holiness transferred to her. 
Because when he bought her back, he said there was something valuable about her I'm buying her back. There's something about her that I want in my life. I'm getting her back. I want her to be a part of my story. And she bought him back. She bought her back and they were married. And they restored that relationship. There was a time when I was eight years old. And my Heavenly Father moved in human history. And he saw a boy that had a filthy heart of sin. He was heading down a road that he shouldn't have been heading down. He was doing things he shouldn't have been doing. My Heavenly Father saw me as an eight-year-old kid. He convicted my soul of sin. And he brought me back with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is at that moment that his holiness was transferred to me. Come on, church. There's a point where someone prayed for God to move in your life and God, for the sake of his holy name and for the sake of your benefit, reached down, convicted you of your sin, and you received him as your personal Savior. And that is the moment that God's holiness transferred to you. Because it goes both ways, right? Right? Either God is about redeeming you and making you better, or he's not. And he's all about that. So he bought you from the clutches of sin and death and Satan and hell and the lake of fire. And he bought you back so that you could be his child, so that you could call him your father, so that one day you could be with him and that you could be holy as he is holy. And when you are praying for God to move, to make his name holy, you are calling for him to save souls. And you're also calling for him to move into history to make sure that you live correctly so that you can represent his name correctly. Make your name holy by saving people, amen, and by helping me live right. You see, this, this prayer is poetic. And I'm not going to bore you with the way that it's structured out, but at the end of this prayer, it says, lead me not into temptation. That parallels with holiness in this poem. Is everybody tracking me? Not making a little. Why am I asking God to not help me not go into temptation? Because I want to represent his name correctly. I want people to see the holiness of God in me. I want them to see that in my life. So Lord, please, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from falling into temptation so that I can represent your name correctly. Because you are my Father and I love you as much as I possibly can love you as a human. And I just don't want to do anything to disgrace my testimony, which would disgrace your name, which would call someone else not to receive you as their personal Savior. How are you representing God's name in the kingdom? Sometimes we run our mouth and we complain about the church or the churches in the area. Or this person or this church or that church or these people. Do you know that every time 
if you talk bad about a church, you're defaming the name of God. Look, there's some things that we should keep private. If you have a problem with somebody, some church somewhere, the Bible says do not broadcast it to everybody. The Bible says to take care of it in that church. Come on. You take care of it there. And if it's another church that isn't taking care of their problems, don't talk about that church. Leave them alone. God will take care of it. So what you do at that point is you say, Our Father who is in heaven, make your name holy. And I don't know what's happening in that church over there. don't really want to know. But you make your name holy in that church. I'm leaving that to you because I can't do anything about it. But what I can do is I cannot talk bad about it. Even though I think it's bad. And I can keep it hush-hush in my mind. Are you, are you tracking with me? When you go out and you talk, you talk about your husband in a bad way. Are you talking about your wife in a bad way that they're not... They're not the person that they're supposed to be. It is the moment that you have elevated yourself above the respect of the Heavenly Father. There are some things that you just need to take care of in your home and keep quiet elsewhere. If other people that aren't Christians look at your marriage because you talked about your Christian husband in a bad way or you talked about your Christian wife in a bad way, what do you think that does to the name of God? It doesn't help them. And if you really want God to move, He moves in your heart quiet, as quiet as you possibly can. I know some things get out, I know I, I recognize that, but when you, it, as much as you can keep it to yourself and between you two, the better off you are, the better chance you have, and the better the better the name of God survives on people's lips. There is a direct connection between the way we live and what we say and the holiness of God's name and how it's perceived. Is God's name always holy? Yes. Heads down. Did God always move to make his name holy? Yeah. Because it's like growing a wood. A piece of wood that's solid. Up against people. Right? Still going to be solid. I, um, uh, you know, there used to be some trees out here. Remember these trees out here? One Sunday, uh, we, were, we were about to <clears throat> we are about to cut down the street. I was making sure everybody knew that's the decision that we all made. I made a statement. I said, well, there, there's a lot of junk trees out there. Right? I don't know if you remember that. There was, there was a teenager that called me, called me about it. There isn't any junk trees. They help with oxygen. And, I mean, went into the whole deal. Okay? It was awesome. Awesome conversation. Junk trees are still wood. They're still solid. And I could take one of those pieces of wood and throw it at you, and you wouldn't care if it was a junk tree or not. It would hurt, but it hit you. Right? God is always holy. Sometimes we profane his name because people think, well, if that's what God does, then he's not that holy. That's how we defame him. But when God moves, when God moves with his holiness, you're not going to be able to escape it. You're not going to be able to escape it. Wednesday evening, we we finished up our discipleship um, study with this thought. A lot of us think about Jesus coming, right? And, and he's coming back, and we get really excited about that because of what it does for us. It makes us perfect, 
when we get to be with him in glory. I mean, there's a lot of excitement with that, that right? We're going to be able to see people that have passed on in heaven one day, and it's just going to be a great thing. But what we need to keep in mind is, Jesus Christ coming back is not about us. It's not. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus setting up his throne in heaven. It's about him moving and making his name holy, permanently holy. Are you checking with me? It is about Jesus. We just happen as his children to get some benefit, but our benefits is not what it's about. It's about Jesus and what he's doing to set things right. His rightful throne is to rule the world. His rightful place is to be our God. His rightful place is to be our Father. And our rightful place is to follow him as his children. Hallowed be your name. I'm going to end with, with this. It might take 30 minutes because you know I'm a pastor. But Matthew chapter 6. The prayer goes, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you that that verse is extremely packed. And honestly, we could go on for 45 minutes with just that verse. It is just packed. But what I want to bring out is this one point. Okay, you'll just let me do that. There's a lot of us that struggle with what we want. There's a lot of us that struggle with building our own kingdoms and getting what we want in life, in church, at our job. And we're all about us. We, we want this, we, we want this, that, and others. It's always our will and our kingdom. <coughs> this prayer tells you emphatically that it is not about my will, Philip or my kingdom, Philip It's about God's. So my outlook in life should be, God, I want your kingdom to come, dethrone mine. I want your will to come, dethrone mine, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it is, it is a prayer of heart to God to say, Lord, my kingdoms crumble and my will always goes the wrong way. But what I want to happen is for your kingdom to come in my life and your will to come into my life and for you to work that through me. I want that for my church. I want that for my position at the job. I want that as a father of my children, as a mother of my children. I, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to take me and show me what I need to do with your kingdom, not my life. It is your will, not mine. This is what happens when you view it that way. All of a sudden, everything she complained about, you no longer complain about. Because at the end of the day, what you're complaining about is your kingdom up against someone else's kingdom. And there's a war. Come on, church. There's a war. I want this. It should be this way. I don't think this. They can't do that. That is you 
pushing your agenda and your kingdom and your strategy. And what Jesus is saying is that you put all that aside and you say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. And you know what? When you have that, you don't fight as much. You don't complain as much. Life is just a lot better. Because at the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, it has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with him. I'm just glad to tag along. Right? Just glad to tag along. The thing is incredible at this church is what we were trying to do is keep up with what God's doing. <laughs> That's my week. I try to keep up with what God's doing. You might look at me and think that I have a great strategy or I don't know what I'm doing. I don't care. What I do during the week is I try to keep up with what God's doing. And if God's doing something over here, I'm trying to keep up with it. If he's doing something over here, I'm trying to keep up with it. I'm trying to figure out where he's taking the church. That's why we have pallets. 26 of them. And I don't know if you don't know this or not, but I'm not good at building stuff, and I'm not good at staining stuff, and I'm just not good at that. Right, people? It's not good. I was talking to Elise right before this, right before this thing, and she's volunteered to come out, and I like that because she's meticulous. I am not meticulous. I'm meticulous, but not meticulous. In other words, when I'm building something or painting something for about five minutes, I'm good. I, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing it really slow, and then something kicks in my in my brain. I got to get this done. The A team can build a tank in fifteen minutes. <laughs> Why can't this be done in 15 minutes? So I start doing right, and, that, and that's just me. That's that's the that's the way. What you do is you just. The reason we have all that, back to the point, is because God is doing something, and we're trying to keep up with Him. It is His kingdom and His will. It is His name, and He's my Father. I'll say that again. It's His kingdom. It's His will. It is His name, not mine. His name. He's my father. And I am privileged to be called his son. Amen. So represent him. Represent him.